This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that mixes things up just to make sure you're paying attention. I'm not Andrew Page, I'm Scott Phillips, and with me I am is Andrew, Andrew Page. Page. How are you going? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Feels a little bit odd. You're 101st doing the podcast, mate. We, we, that, we don't want to be sucking our ways here. <laughs> Every 100 episodes, <laughs> we swap. We'll change one thing, exactly. just to make sure our listeners are awake. Exactly. Keeping it fresh. Mate, today on the podcast, we're going to cover the best of Warren and Charlie, 2018 edition. That's a Berkshire hint. We're going to talk about the federal budget, but don't switch off. We're not going to make it... Oh, come on. We're going to try and make it interesting. Mm-hmm. We're going to open the Foolish Mail, but we've got heaps of mail to get through, so yes. we're going to do our best to get through that in a reasonable amount of time. And, unfortunately, even though I'm hosting, hey. you do get a chance to, if we if we have time, and, and we may not, Liam, I, I might have to cut this off early just because... There's always time. Yeah, well, if we do have time, you will be we're getting making on time. We'll your do a high PS horse. if there's not time. <laughs> Mate, if the high horse ever becomes a PS, we're in a world of hurt because it could go for hours. <laughs> and another thing. <laughs> All right, mate. So Warren and Charlie, mm. the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting was on Sunday. Started at 1 a.m. Sydney time. 52nd edition. Pretty sure it was. Yep. 1965 current management took over, so mm-hmm. that'd be about right. Yep. Warren Buffett, of course, Charlie Munger, the two men, the 87-year-old, the 92-year-old who run Berkshire Hathaway. Yep. They sat down and talked to their audience in Omaha, Nebraska, mm-hmm. for six hours straight and took questions from all comers, journos, fund managers, and the general public. What did you think of it? I got a confession to make. Oh, no. I, I, I didn't listen to most of it. I tuned in for the end, and even then I sort of had it on in the background. Dude, this is supposed to be an investing- podcast. I know. I know. And what was fascinating, so we, we on Monday uh, came around, the investment team, we always get together, we have a bit of a chat. I wasn't alone. <laughs> A lot of us supposed investing hardcore fanboys, like, you know, this this is like a Catholic, you know, Careful. not listening Care- to- Oh, dear. Careful. Well, oh, no. I was just going to say, it's like ignoring <laughs> the Pope, right? Okay. For, yeah. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, and I'm admitting, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing I'm confessing my sins here. I, so the I, first podcast I host, mm. you start with, I've got nothing. I'll tell you Lem, what. We might have to cut this and start again. We'll, we'll, we'll probably just, you know. Well, let's let's do it. Is there anyone else outside in the office here who could I could I could ring in for? To, Andrew's kind of mate, really just, living up to it's, it's not expectations. It's, it's not easy taking the lead. I made it look easy for the first one hundred. I don't know. It's, it's I, not the lead I'm worried about. It's the it's the it's the it's help the I'm getting exactly. Well, I'll say this. I'll say this, and and and, and I think it is fascinating. So, why is and, and anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time would just bang yeah, their head oh, on no. the wall because you know we talk about this bloody you know octogenarian investor constantly. Yes, we do. And yet, you know, he 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 gives his sermon at his once a year annual meeting, and, and I didn't tune in and. I guess the reason was, and the other guys sort of seem to echo this, is that there's a couple of things. One is it is it is a commitment. It is six and a half hours or so. Yeah, and to, to learn from the best investor in the world for free only once a year. Yeah, and and it's yeah, like, it's and, terrible, and, terrible. And, and and unlike in many, it's only what the second or third time they've actually broadcast yeah. online. So yep. normally there was no way on onto the inside without actually being there or following a live blog that we used to do when it wasn't live. That's broadcast. that's true. That's yep. true. But it, you know you couldn't actually hear it from the horse's mouth. Correct. Um, look, mate. For me, it's it's a it's funny because it, I, anyone who's who's read much of Buffett's stuff or followed him or done all this other kind of stuff is that there, there he, he there's nothing new that's there. And and even when I was there in person, like yeah. we were there for the fiftieth anniversary, we were. You so, hadn't helped out with the live blog, it was as I recall. Such, let's not go there. It's so <laughs> a little bit jet lagged, <laughs> perhaps a little bit hungover. Um, I didn't do a great job. <laughs> 
Let's let's not I wasn't gonna, I was gonna drop you in on mate, but if you want to drop well, yourself you in it, then. you can't hint about it, then not so good. <laughs> I anyway, didn't say that, anyway, helped with the it, podcast. It was love, great, it was such love, an love. experience. But but yeah. as I said at the time, there was nothing new there. Now I, I don't here's the thing. Um I actually think that's a wonderful thing because investing is something that just has like a lot of things. There's there's certain eternal truths that, that were true fifty years ago that right, be true right. fifty years in the future. So the the investment quote unquote guru who every year's got a new way of doing things mm-hmm. is probably a, a charlatan. Yes. So so th- that's what we should expect. Yep. But but for someone who's been so close to it for so long and who's read all the annual letters and listened to a bunch of meetings. I just, when it came around to getting up at the crack of dawn. <laughs> before and, the crack of dawn, right? Before the crack an of dawn. An hour after midnight. And, and sitting for six and a half hours, I just didn't do it. But you have looked at some of the highlights. And, and we know that there was something of a, a challenge for you, Andrew, this, mm-hmm. this time. Because mm-hmm. you, had, you had the irresistible force, meaning the immovable object. The two heroes in your life, the two objects of your manly affection, Warren Buffett and Elon Musk were at loggerheads. And I try, I'm still trying to work out how you resolve that tension without somehow blowing up. Torn or, between or- two lovers. I know. It, look, it, it was um- – I like. There's room in there's room in my life for for both of these. So guys. tell me why there was disagreement. Well, um, Musk uh, basically said something. The so boss of Tesla, boss SpaceX. Of Tesla, don't, the man doesn't need an introduction for God's sake. The, the, this <laughs> Elon, um, Mr. M, was basically saying that moats were a quaint idea. Right, and what's a moat? A bit of a dig, and and a moat is a is a is a term that Mr. Uh, Buffet. Uh, coin. I was waiting for you to use that, um, which which basically refers to a sustainable competitive advantage, some kind of characteristic about a business that allows it to earn outsized returns that prevents competitors from coming in and eating your lunch. And the idea of a moat around the castle, keeping it safe, letting you go about your business well and successfully, and being able to keep the marauders at bay. There's a lot of aspects to Buffett's investment strategy, but that is at the core yep. of it. He looks for these businesses that are able to, to, with these big, fat, deep, sustainable moats around them that can just go on compounding their earnings year after year after year. And that's basically the secret to his success. So Coca-Cola, for example, massive, massive brand distribution network, yeah. lots of things that are very, very hard for its competitors to mimic. And what gives Coke the ability to earn much more profit than Pepsi or Andrew Kohler or Scott Kohler or anything else? That or his along. most recent investment, or one of his more recent investments with Apple, right? right Another one, right. huge brand advantage and a whole other. Bunch Shout of out to Doc who works well. with us, who will be happy to hear huge us Apple boy. Yeah, and 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 then so then Musk comes out and says, "Yeah, I don't know if that's if, if that's right." He Moats said, "Are lame." I think he said, "Moats are lame," <laughs> and and he said, "Well, actually, what really matters is innovation. Yeah. Innovation. It's, it, the, the world is moving much faster." Um, there's a lot more technology orientation around business today. You innovate or you die. All right. So you so, can have a huge moat, but if you're not innovating, then then you're in trouble. And so there's, again, there's truth to what both of these guys are saying. Time to make a decision. Mm. I'm, not gonna, to, I'm not going to deal in absolutes. I'll, 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 play the, I'll play the perfect match music where you decide whether you want to choose seat number two or seat number, <laughs> bachelor number one or bachelor number two. Andrew. I'm two-timing, Who my will friend. it be? No, I'm two- I'm, I, I think they both oh, make good- come on. I'll no, say no, this. I'll say on. this. As much as I have affection for, for both of them, Elon's a little bit crazy, right? <laughs> I, I know that there, there's going to- There's very, every chance in the- you know, Lovely years in crazy. the future, I, it's going to be this really embarrassing thing to admit that, oh, I used to think he was pretty cool because he's just going to do something really, <laughs> really crazy. <laughs> That's a pretty you good know, chance, He's going to be wearing it? tissue boxes on his feet and you know, growing his nails like 10 centimetres long and- <laughs> Living in some hyperbaric chamber, he's that kind of guy. So you, you've got to take what he says with a little bit of grain of salt. But he's—I mean, I would say they're both right. I would say having a moat actually gives you the resources to 
effectively uh, invest in innovation and do all of these. There's a lot of and innovation nuance. done well kind of is its own moat, right? It is. So they're kind of like these these two billionaires sort of duking it out and trolling at each other. And really, they're kind of circling around the same thing. There's some subtle subtle differences there. Yep, yep. But I think it's just Elon being Elon and 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 I don't know being a bit of a dick if I can say that <laughs> about him. And 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 Warren being you know the 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 wise elder statesman sort of handling it very well. But um, and didn't Elon say he was going to start his own candy company yeah, as well to go against after, after after Buffett said well. I, I don't think Elon's right. We have a candy company that's got a pretty good moat that sees candies, which is excellent, by the way. And, and not uh, much innovation going on in, exactly. in there. And so Elon decides he wants to start a candy company to prove something, which is uh, which is interesting. And I'm sure, frankly, there are so many nutty fanboys out there for Tesla that if he launched Tesla chocolates, I'm sure they would sell a lot, at least for a couple you of years. You know they would, right? Okay, so enough about that. What, what, and Tesla, what? by the way, is a brand, which is a... Moat. Moat. It is. There it is go. an intangible asset. So you, you give me, um, before we speak too long about this, just give me a couple of the- <laughs> Before quick, we speak too long. <laughs> a couple of key takeaways for, as someone who did sit through it. What, 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 Excuse me. I know you've talked to before about yep. it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful chance to refresh. Yeah. So look, my what I, what I love about the Berkshire Ming, so here's the thing. It's, I, I liken it to the once a year going to church, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the, it's the opportunity for the, the preacher to stand out the front and say, hey, you lot, don't forget, these are the rules that we try and live by. Yeah. And so to some degree, again, those aren't religious, they won't make so much sense. Um, but to some degree, it's it's a it's a you know, it's a sitting at the feet of the master and just being again kind of reminded of the stuff that matters in investing. And it's one of those things where very little, as you say, is brand new, but it's very, very hard to read, even if you just read a few quotes from the meeting, it's hard to read those and kind of not go, Yeah, that's right, I must remember that. Or yeah, exactly, that's really important. And there is a there is a process of you know, as humans, we're so much, so wired towards going for the, the latest thing, the flashy thing, the new thing. That mm. you know, what's new in investing? Oh, that guy's got a new plan. I'll go and have a look at that. Mm. And we kind of think about Buffett. And we think, well, we know all that stuff. We don't have to worry about that. And that's okay, except that our brains don't really deal well with old home truths that are somewhere in the back of our minds. Mm. We're much more likely to respond to the new and the different and the new urgent thing. Yeah, right. And so, to some degree, it's, it's absolutely that benefit. Even I was there with you a couple of years ago. And just having that experience, that you come back and can, you think, okay, well, let's start again. You know, yeah, we know I'll, I'll, I'll name drop, and it's a shareholding of mine. Sol, Sol Pats is a, is a company listed on the ASX. Mm-hmm. Robert Milner, the, the chairman of, of that company, mm-hmm. has been going to Berkshire every year. Went again this year. Well, he was the reason um, we were hungover. Well, <laughs> if I can, if I can dob him not, in there. Let's not slander Robert okay, too much, but right. he, he he may have he may have been a, a very enjoyable lunch and and uh, <laughs> and, and after lunch drinks partner. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Rob, we've, we've dropped you in it there. Yeah. Uh, mind you, he, 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 he pulled up under the you did. table <laughs> easily. Easy. Anyway, so he's been going every year. And, you know, he, he's a guy who is worth a squillion in his own right, runs a very successful company. He doesn't need to be there to learn anything new. But it's that process of just re-imbuing yourself with that yeah. stuff that is that, – that's honestly, that's the key value. Um, talked about – one thing was really – I'm Amazon shareholder again, as mm-hmm. people would know. Um, I'm Berkshire holder too, for mm-hmm. full disclosure. Mm-hmm. And he talked about Amazon, and people said, why didn't you invest in Amazon? And he said, well, when I saw what Jeff Bezos was going to do, I thought it was, it'd be a miracle it'd be successful. And it has been a miracle. Mm-hmm. He said, I just don't invest in miracles. And so there was some sense of just because those things are successful, could you have reasonably said at, in 1997, here's – a company or companies, which one of those is going to be successful mm. to beat Walmart at its own game? Mm. You need it to be spectacularly good. Mm. And some people bought Amazon. Some people think they picked it. Some people are, are lucky to have picked it. Buffett was like, I, I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't using my own framework decide or know that was going to be successful. Mm. So I simply just chose not to take part. And I thought that was a circle of competence is a really big thing. You don't have to know everything about everything. Yep. You don't have to invest in everything. Just buy the stuff you think you know about and have an advantage with. Before we move on. What did uh, what Charlie say about Bitcoin, mate? <laughs> I think he might have referred to it as a turd from, from memory. <laughs> there you go. He, he may, he may have used it, that word. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, what yeah. a smart man. 
Um, How much are you up in your Bitcoin? (laughs) Well, how much have I lost is a better question, and the answer is nothing. How much have you gained? Uh, Nothing as well. Oh, I'm ahead then, I suppose. Didn't you just give a lesson about it's okay to miss out if you don't understand something? I'm just saying I'm ahead with it. I I must have understood it better than you. That's all I I can say. (laughs) I just assume that must be true. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of things that I didn't pay attention to and that you did. And reasons you're going to introduce this topic, you don't have to answer the first question. You, I, I got in quickly there. <laughs> you did. Um, uh, the federal budget. Oh, um, the most exciting uh, you, night of the year. You, I'm going to dob you in as, as that hardcore <laughs> nerd who, who, who cooks the popcorn beforehand, who, you know, who turns the phone off, who sits there, watches all the coverage, tweets out a storm on every thought that, that uh, comes through your head. That's at TMF Scott P, for those who <laughs> yes. want to see my budget Twitter storm. <laughs> um, uh, I, I didn't see it, mate. And, and again, I know it's a finance <laughs> podcast, so... That's, that's pretty shameful. I've had a pretty bad run this week. <laughs> that's right. Can, can, which, which value are you adding again this week? Can you give me and our listeners who, yes. will, who will like me a quick <laughs> a quick roundabout tour with being as apolitical as you can? Oh, my husband. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the budget so much that my wife said to my son with it, or our son with a twinkle in her eye, I'll put you to bed. Daddy's got to watch the budget. <laughs> and she looked at me with that look like, you poor, poor sad man, which was, you know, well, she could have just right. kept him up and he would have fallen asleep by himself anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yes, look, it was a really fascinating budget for a whole lot of reasons. It's obviously a very political budget. Mm-hmm. And we did see last night Bill Shorten's reply speech. And so there's lots of politics flying around. We, we saw. Okay. You saw. Yeah, it was. It happened. Okay. Trust me. I believe it. Um, lots of politics. And we try and stay out of the politics in, in as much as we can here. We try and focus on policy, not politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and economics rather than rather than vote buying. So mm. from both parties, lots of this is this is a pre-election budget. Whether we get another one before the next election is kind of a moot point. They're both mm. setting up for, for budgets and they're dueling tax cuts. Mm. My tax um, cut is bigger than yours. Exactly what it was, right? Yeah. And so so uh, you know, ten bucks a week for most people out of Malcolm Turnbull's, well Scott Morrison's budget, twenty bucks for for most people out of out of uh, Bill Shorten's budget reply. So it was that kind of it was that kind of um, that kind of week. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of the changes, I suppose one of the big ones is that the, the Libs and Nats promised or, or want to have enacted tax cuts that go at seven years, mm. including a really, really substantial change to the system, which is basically that they're going to have what is, amounts to effectively a flat tax okay. for anybody earning between 40 grand and 200 grand a year, which is, which is the largest kind of structural philosophical change to the tax system that we will see if it happens. And look, it's seven years away and it may never get passed. But mm. conceptually, that would be an enormous change. To what's previously in a, previously been what they call a progressive system, which is you pay a higher rate of tax the more you earn. This kind With of things going up in brackets. Exactly. So the brackets are still there. It's just one very big, wide Well, actually, we're taking one middle. out altogether, right, yeah. for a start. So it's so, become yeah. one big, long, wide one. Exactly, exactly. So here's the argument that I've heard for the flat tax is it's just simpler and it's fairer and it's easier for all. Yes. What, what would you say to that? One and three are very easy. That is absolutely simpler. Yep. Um, and it's absolutely easier. Mm-hmm. The fairer bit is where you run into some uh, questions. This is this is. I'll try to be political. Let's talk about the economics and the and the the philosophy of it. Mm. So the idea is: look, if everyone pays the same portion of income, then it's it's that's that's on one level really really fair, right? Earn a buck, earn a hundred bucks, earn a thousand bucks, earn ten thousand bucks. I pay the same percentage Mm. of that as income. Well, that's what happens with companies. Company rate of tax tax is thirty percent. Right. You're a billion dollar company. You're you know small one. Thirty percent. Correct. Correct. The, the difference here is on an equity level, the, the argument, and I won't, I won't come down necessarily on one side or the other, but the argument is that it's kind of what's left after the process and, and how fair it is that um, if you earn 40 grand a year and you're paying a 30 cent tax rate, for example, you're paying 200, you're earning 200 grand a year. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's fair in one version of the, of the future. So everyone pays the same rate of tax. Mm-hmm. I earn more, I pay 
more dollars, but mm-hmm. the same percentage. That seems fair. Mm-hmm. The, the other version of fair is after I paid my tax. Now, if I earn forty grand a year, mm-hmm. how much have I got left for my living expenses, my rents, the, the you know, the tolls, food, mm-hmm. warmth, bills mm-hmm. versus someone who pays two hundred grand? And on an equity basis, is, is it is it fair that the amount left over for people who are let's assume they're both working hard, they're both working to their capacity. One person's in a job that society values more than the other, for mm. example, uh, a surgeon versus a road digger. Mm. If they both work 40 hours, 60 hours a week, they're getting very, very different after-tax amounts. Mm. And so to some people, fairness would be it's fair for someone earning a heap more, as in literally five mm. times more, mm. to pay a slightly higher proportion of that income in tax because they've got so much left after-tax that for, to some degree, they can afford to, and it would be reasonable on a societal basis to say those who can afford to should, those who can't afford as much shouldn't have to pay as much. So it's kind of there's a, the redistribution argument you got just to sort of make society a little bit flatter, yeah. less stratified. Yeah, exactly. And so to some degree, you know, if you can, if you're earning 200 grand, you're paying your 30% tax, mm. you probably, I won't do the numbers now, because you, you probably got 120 grand odd left over. Yep. If you're earning 40 grand a year, you've probably got 35, 36 grand left over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, if, if Some would say that's fair because it's the same rate of tax. Other people would say, well, you still end up with three times as much. How is that? Fair, in inverted commas, mm. and that's kind of where the whole thing breaks down. Okay. So, look, I'm generally in favor of a progressive system. I think it's reasonable to pay a little bit more if you earn a little bit more in percentage terms as well as in dollars. Um, so I think a progressive system is, is fairer and, yep. and probably societally better, but that kind of gets straight into opinion now. I and think from a, it's from a policy to perspective, you can un- have a different view. Until I start earning more than 200 <laughs> a year, and then I am dead against it. I'm dead against it once I'm Mate, there are not, that's a first-class problem, right? Like, <laughs> Isn't it? I, I, some of I do have to say, people who are saying, I earn 100 grand a year, and I, should, I shouldn't I should have to pay you know, more taxes, I'm earning 60 grand a year. I kind of, it, there's a, a soft degree, of, a fair degree of self-deception. I, I think it'd be... I think you wouldn't trade you, places, would you? That's you know? the, and that's the answer, right? If you yeah. earn that much money, you're really going to begrudge paying extra five percentage points in tax. I think that's there, there's some element of kind of you know what society you want to live in. For me, I'd rather live in a society where you know everyone's everyone's got enough to get on. I think that would be a reasonable thing. I think from a tax system perspective, we can help that to be true. But that, I mean, that's horrible. That, that's complete yeah. opinion yeah. And, and not in the politics. Okay, side. let's move away from the politics quickly. And before we move on from the budget, one yep. thing I thought I th- it was very, it's, got, it's gotten a bit of uh, traction in the media and hopefully it gets a bit more. But what was what was one thing that was very fascinating mm. about it was that we've just going through this Banking Royal Commission, which we've talked oh, about a lot. Jesus. We've seen, my, we've seen just my. how dodgy the whole bloody industry <laughs> is. And what, is the, what does the budget propose? Cutting how much money they out of As- uh, the corporate watchdog? I, I don't know the exact total. They're cutting 30 jobs out of ASIC. ASIC is the business that the regulator should say whose job it is to keep tabs on the banks. Mm. And, and and for a government who was dragged kicking and screaming to the Royal Commission in the first place, this is just absolutely staggering. It's- that a government could think in everything they're spending and saving- yeah. They're literally going to cut jobs out of a regulator who was already too stretched to catch this stuff before the Royal Commission. Yeah. And that somehow with fewer staff, ASIC is somehow better- I, again, uh, but uh, I want- to be fair, we will get a Captain Cook statue. So, <laughs> so you know, that's a fair trade. Six, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Right? Captain Cook is the best banking regulator. Did I we say we were going to be apolitical? Zero to you. Real money advice from real people, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. We better move on, my friend. We are, right, we are fast running out of time. <laughs> uh, we got some mail, mate. Read us out the first one. I will. So we got we got three good bits of mail. The first one came from Grant Turtle underscore G G E on Twitter, uh, and Grant was asking about speaking of things political and other sugar taxes. Mm. And so he said, "Hey Scott, what are your thoughts on a sugar tax? Will you be writing about the pros and cons of such a tax?" Now I said, "Mate, great question. 
look, you know, sugar and health isn't really my thing. Um, but, you know, generally, you know, I'm, I'm coming in favour. He said, thanks for the reply. I think in the favour science- of sugar? <laughs> in favour of the tax. Oh, okay. He said, thanks for the... I, I drink Coke Zero, man. I'm, okay. I'm all about I'm all about artificial sweeteners. You know that. <laughs> he, said, I said, thanks- he said, thanks for the reply. I think the science is in. What I would love to hear from you guys is, do taxes like this work? And so, mm. you know, again, we'll talk about the sugar tax a little bit, but it's more the question of, of taxes generally. And, you know, does this sort of thing... Whether you think it should be in place or not, mm. would it work if it was? And that's the that's the key question. Haven't they done it over in the UK fairly recently? They have, and they've also tried different versions of this in in the US. Yep. Um, the it's a, it's a fascinating thing because it really comes straight down to the laws of supply and demand, mm-hmm. and we know that unless something is addictive or somehow has different uh, attributes at play, so nicotine and cigarettes are the classic example. <laughs> exactly, there, right? and look, well, to, and this is, I mean, cigarettes are useful, right? Because the combination of education and tax has dramatically reduced mm-hmm. the amount of smoking. Now we can argue about which part of which was it. Was it education? Right. Was it tax? Was it both? Was it neither? Yeah. You can have those arguments. I think, frankly, mate, people tend to argue those on ideological lines rather sure. than looking for evidence. As, as is so often the case. But for the sugar tax, I think the nicotine tax or the tobacco tax is a really, really great example. Mm. And I think that's the, the combination again. This is The question really comes down to what role do you think government should have mm. in, and again, we won't necessarily get the politics of it, but ideologically, the reality is we know for a fact in every walk of life, including, for example, the carbon tax, again, same thing, mm. when you add a tax, when you put, adding taxes put prices up, when prices go up, people use less of it. So mm. whether that's energy, whether that's nicotine, whether that's beer, whether that's whatever else, we know that price has an inversely proportional relationship to demand mm-hmm. as price goes up. Demand falls as price goes down. Demand rises. Mm. Again, carbon tax went on. Mm. Energy use fell. Mm-hmm. Carbon tax comes off. Energy use rises again. Mm. Um, tobacco, we've seen over decades that, that increasing prices, as well as education, has an impact. If you are of the belief, and to, to Grant's question, he wants to know, does it work? Absolutely. The evidence is, is well and truly in that increasing the price of anything, whether by a tax or something else, you do decrease the demand. Mm. Would there be less sugar consumed with the sugar tax? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. You can and, and, decide whether you think that's a good idea or not. Yeah. But but conceptually straightforward, economics 101, price goes up, demand goes down. You want less sugar consumed? Increasing the price is one way of achieving that. And and beyond just perhaps so – the argument often comes down to, oh, it's a nanny state. You know, it's, it's my choice as to whether I want to yes. have a bunch of sugar or not. And I, I have sympathy with that. But where I, I feel as though it's reasonable um, for a government to do this is because there are – direct cost to yeah. society and the government. So the person who has, you know, 12 Krispy Kremes for breakfast is probably going to be um, consuming a far greater proportion of the of the health uh, budget, mm-hmm. for example. And so it, it is reasonable to think that if you're more likely to be drawing on resources there, that you need to tip more in. So it, it has this wonderful benefit. Yes, it makes you healthier mm-hmm. and, and as a better, incentivizes you to do the right thing, but it also has big longer term payoff in reducing our healthcare spending. You know what's funny? I actually think a sugar tax is a good idea, but I actually disagree with that as a, as a reason. The oh, answer really? is because you're going to die of something at some point anyway. Okay. And there's every decent chance that if you don't die of a heart attack because of Krispy Kremes, you're going to die of something else. And the last year of healthcare costs reasonably the same for most of us on average, regardless of what you die of. Yeah, and so we but, know, for uh, example- Yeah, but it's not just about dying, though. It's the it's the 20 years of um, type 2 diabetes and the cost that comes yeah. with that. It's it's yeah. it's it's, it's, all the, it's these you know huge spectrum of health-related issues that right. aren't necessarily- you know, mortality related, yeah. but have significant costs on the health system. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And I, I haven't sourced for the conversation. Now we're going to go this direction. I'm pretty sure the tobacco. <laughs> so we ever know which direction we're going to go? <laughs> well, cut, wait, okay. we'll cut that bit out. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't check this beforehand, but so the tobacco tax, I'm pretty sure, raises far, far more than it covers in related health costs. 
because right. there's so much tax on it right now. And yep. I think, so, you know, that there is arguments about if you're going to use the health budget at some point, whether you get cancer, whether you get diabetes, whether you get whatever, mm. that there's, a, there's an indirect correlation. You're going to die of something eventually. So being, the incremental cost of that is far less than people would otherwise assume. That is, if you die of a heart attack versus cancer because you didn't or didn't have the Krispy Kremes, the last year of your life is probably going to cost roughly the same on average. I think what I, what I would say for what it's worth is that um, it, it's it's if you're going to raise a tax, you might as well raise a tax by doing by, by taxing the thing you want less of. That's kind of taxation 101 is you tax the things you want less of. And that's what people frankly say about income is, you know, do we really want to tax income when we actually want people to go and work and earn money? At some level, yeah, if we're taxing the, the, the less ideal things in society and as a result, raising the revenue we need anyway, mm-hmm. but doing it in such a way that we are encouraging people to take different choices, you kind of manage to achieve both aims there. You have better public health outcomes and you still raise the money you need. Mm-hmm. Far better that than taxing something that otherwise isn't necessarily negative, like income or something else. Mm-hmm. A smart government might say, well, let's let's aim aim for taxation on the stuff that is negative for, for health, negative for societal outcomes. Okay, quick fire round. Um, let's fire through a couple more. Excellent. Hit one me, from Natalie one. Perez. Mate, you can have this one. Hey, guys, love the podcast. We're a young couple. It's awesome. And we have started investing in the stock market, which I love. So they're 25, which is awesome. We are set on buying the index. We've also changed our super to low-fee index-based super. Are we not better off just maximizing our super to 15% and invest in the index? That way, enjoy some tax benefits rather than doing it outside the super system. I know tax should be the main reason, but we'd be investing in an index fund either way. Am I missing something? Aside from the ability to withdraw the money until retirement, obviously. Thanks so much. Look forward to your show each week. I could have left that last bit out, but you know I like to put the compliments in, <laughs> so it makes yeah, me feel better. For sure. So Natalie's saying she's doing an inside yeah. super. I'm saving some tax. Isn't that the best thing to do? Yeah, it, it is on the proviso that you're happy to leave that untouched until you retire. Yep. Um, and it's it's great that she's thinking so long term because you know a lot of people in their twenties, you know, retirement. Man, I'm in I'm in my forties, and retirement seems like an eon away. I I, I struggle. That's very to, very to, close to, to you. I, I scarily yeah, close, yeah. but but you know, I do I do struggle to conceive of that, and and I think that. So if, if they were looking to at some point buy a maybe I don't know their situation but maybe mm-hmm. let's say hypothetical the, the stereotypical couple looking to save up to buy a house that money is obviously not going to be assess- accessible for that so th- right. th- that is the question if on the other hand you genuinely are putting this aside long term for your retirement then those you know again she's right you don't invest on tax reasons alone Correct. but the tax savings are so substantial yeah. and they're going to compound it's you know just such a massive degree that the difference it's like those um uh, uh, uh super industry ads where they sort of <laughs> compare the pair compare the pair you we're, know, do, we're or, doing the hand thing ready to do the hand thing and all they do there you go we're doing the hand well, could you just tell us as we're doing the hand thing and and the only difference is they talk about the fees <laughs> and we see how massive like in dollar terms right, that is right, right and so yes i i would i would say Say if 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 you can wait that long, then absolutely keep it within super. With the caveat, yes. and again, maybe this is the cynic in me coming out. No, that I would almost guarantee that the government will change the rules <laughs> exactly at some point, or they'll look to yep. dip into that in some way, shape, or form, or yep. they'll push back the age at which you can claim it, or all of these kinds of things. Um, so there's there's also an argument too. I, I tend to balance it off. Um, I, I mm-hmm. keep some out. I put some in. Yeah. It's, it's a personal choice. It's a little word called optionality. And the amount of optionality you want, you, you're going to pay something for that optionality. Mm. And to the extent you keep your money outside super, you're foregoing the tax deduction. Mm. So you have the option of maybe, you know, if you want to, let's say, let's say you're incredibly great at saving and investing and you've got enough money at 53 to stop working. Mm. If all that money is inside super and the government says you can't touch it till 60, you're kind of stuffed, right? Because yeah. you can't you can't get it out. So you've got to wait seven years. Like I'd rather be not working, but I have to because mm. I can't access my cash. Yeah. Um, Even if um, you've got a gazillion dollars, literally, in it. literally. Yeah. So look, I'm not, I'm not like you. I, I think 
They absolutely look at 25. Yes, maximize your super because do it now. It'll compound forever. But at some point, just think about the optionality of being able to, for example, retire at 45 or, or, or 40. If you're great at saving and investing, you want to go and live a, a low-cost lifestyle somewhere in country New South Wales or somewhere else, mm-hmm. get, go and do that by all means. Um, just be mindful that you can't touch that cash. And while it doesn't feel like at 25 a big deal, if you get to 55 and think, gee, I wish I'd taken left some money outside so I can wait for the majority to come back to me at 60 or whatever age the government says. But in the meantime, I've got some money to do what I want. Okay. Next question um, from Maximus Power. Now you have to read the bottom one first, Andrew, because Max uh, – so Matt, actually. It was Matt Power. At yeah, Matt. M Power. So Matt, Matt, did, uh, Matt did get in touch and he said, I love the podcast, gents. On, on. I think it means full on. In question time, how do I invest directly in international equities? Mm-hmm. And comments on international tax implications. Then he says, Andrew often talks about holding Amazon. <laughs> and then a minute later, he said, you said the same thing back with Scott, often talks about holding Amazon. I did give, I give Matt a little bit of grief for that. So, Matt, so thanks, for, thanks for letting me have a bit of fun with you. Uh, I didn't want to let the first thing go. I'm the one who holds Amazon and have done reasonably well, Andrew. I don't, that's, I don't that's think you why, own Amazon. That's the only reason why you wanted to clarify. <laughs> Let's be honest here. There's a reason I put both of those in the run sheet, mate. <laughs> so, it's an excellent question. How do you inter- invest uh, in uh, It's very easy. It's the same way that you would go about investing in domestic shares. You've got to set up a uh, trading account with a stockbroker. Right. Uh, he mentions Comsec. Um, yep, as good as any. Uh, actually, no. I'm Which gonna, one do you use? I'm going to... Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't invest directly overseas. What? I, I know, I know. Um, uh, you know Tesla oh, that's a very, very good US, idea. Right? Uh, oh, geez, how do I explain this quickly? So, okay, let me let me answer the question first. So, you just you just go to... I would actually... Yep. I, I would... I would... I use Comsec, actually, and that's just for historically because I'm lazy and that was the first account I opened Most up. Most of us I've, do. I've yes. never bothered to switch and, yep. and that, that's embarrassing and to and admit. Well, they're also pretty good, right? Like it's relatively inexpensive brokerage, relatively good customer service, relatively good website That's all true. That's all true. Yep. But when it comes to international, ah. they're hopeless. And I, I say this without relatively. fear or favour. You know, I've got, <laughs> yeah. there's no kickbacks or anything here, but I, I, I would, when you look at the, yeah. the brokerage costs for international trading, there are providers there that are much, much, much cheaper than Comsec. Correct. Having said that, if you're the kind of long-term buy-hold type investor, you're not going to be trading your pants off, then it's probably, you know, there's not much of a difference here. So it's, it's, it's probably an argument to say whoever you're using domestically, just keep it all together and, 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 and um, go with them. I think that's fair. I, I would, I would say that about, I would say that about five, saving five bucks between Comsec and a local other discount broker. Yeah. You can trade Comsec for 20 bucks in the ASX, trade for others for 15. I'd never bother changing away from Comsec because it's too much of a muchness. Yeah. To some degree, though, I don't know what the current Comsec rates are, but they have historically been like multiples of the price much of much investing internationally. Mm. So I use Options Express. Other I think people they've down, to be fair. They're now called Charles Schwab now. Mm. Um, I use Charles Schwab. Other people use interactive brokers. Some I've heard do good use things Comsec. about interactive brokers. Uh, I, I, you know, I think I think I would not worry about commissions for their own sake, mm-hmm. except where those numbers are just too big a gap. Yep. So, yep. frankly, if you're spending twenty bucks on a thousand dollar trade, that's two percent. If you're spending fifty bucks, that's five percent. So mm. it's kind of, even though it doesn't feel like all that much more, it's kind of half a year's gain you're kind of giving up just for the sake of having an, an expensive broker. So if the prices are much for muchness, I agree with you, Andrew. I'd go local. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm happy with Charles Schwab. Um, I actually wouldn't recommend interactive brokers for what it's worth, only because that's a really, really complex trading screen. That's yeah. it's a bugger to use. We use it for work uh, for some of our real money portfolios because the company has an account with interactive brokers. It's fine. They're great. Mm. Um, but it's not not particularly user-friendly. So yeah. I would go with Comsec or maybe Charles Schwab if I was forced to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of the question is the tax implications. There are tax implications. There are. Um, you, there, there are withholding taxes and other kind of stuff we just don't have time to get into. It's not a, a major swing factor as to why you would or wouldn't, but there certainly are. T- and there's also currency impacts as well. Yeah. So if the Aussie dollar uh, rises substantially, that's going to 
take the take the edge off some of your gains. I'm going to take 30 seconds and go into those tax implications, Andrew, just because I think you're going to talk about a WBEN form. I, I'm not going to talk about that, but you do have to fill it out. Uh, all I wanted to say is there is no downside to investing internationally from a tax perspective, other than you miss out on franking credits that we get here in Australia. Right. So um, you don't pay any extra taxes by investing in the US. Any withholding taxes that are taken by the US government, you can offset against your Australian tax payable. It's just an, an added administrative as a form to fill out. Don't don't be discouraged by taxes. My is my net. Yes, you yes, pay the same capital gains tax, you pay the same tax on income. You have to fill out one form to make it happen. Um, don't be discouraged by tax. Go and do it anyway. You will be almost certainly happy you did if you're buying quality companies that give you good long-term compound returns. Uh, and just to explain myself very quickly, um, I do have In general a or bunch, about this? <laughs> just about this. Oh, I do okay, have good. a bunch of exposure to, to offshore markets, in particular the US, but I've, I do that through low-cost ETFs. Um, I'm a very active investor when it comes to lo- local shares. Mm-hmm. When it comes to getting exposure to the Berkshires, the Apples, the Amazons, I've, I've got a bunch of ETFs that do that. It's just a bandwidth question for me. We might talk about that next week. Yeah, it's a good question. All right. Um, I think we've run out of time for the high horse, mate. I'm sad to say. I'm, I'm admitting that. I'm admitting that because we're, we're 32 minutes in. I'm not going to disagree with you, dude. Okay. I'm going to let you do it next week. That's right, fine. I'll do it next week. If you forget, I'll do mine and we'll be even happier. Now, you did the intro. Does that mean I have to do the- Do I have to wrap it up? To the outro, as they call the it, outro? the trade. That's because we're, we're, we're radio professionals, we're dude. True professionals. We're, we're 101st podcast. Hey. We're almost, almost Hall of Fame entrance. <laughs> Almost. Give it, give another, give another couple of thousand episodes. And we might we're possibly on, score an invite to the, the to longest the journey starts with a single step, <laughs> or a hundred bad podcasts. That almost wraps it up. But before we go, <laughs> don't forget you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes and your favourite Android podcast app. And you should. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a fat five star rating on iTunes and tell your friends. I'm sure they could do with some foolish straight talk too. And you can get a little bit more at fool.com.au forward slash Triple M. Until next week, I'm Andrew Page. And I'm Scott Phillips. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.